Welcome to Stupsin. Stupsin is a series of Dharma talks by Anthony Osler, Dai Chong Osho, the guiding teacher at Poplar Grove Zendo in South Africa, and a former Zen monk. The talks draw from traditional Zen teachings and koans to make them relevant wherever we live and whatever life we lead. If you feel inspired by these teachings and would like to make an offering to support Stupsin, you can go to our website, stupsin.co.za, to find out how. I take refuge in the Buddha, in the willingness to be present whatever comes. I take refuge in the Dharma, in this precious moment as it is. I take refuge in the Sangha, in this world as friend, to look after it as it looks after me. So th th that's the way we chant it in the evenings on retreat, Poplar Grove Zendo now. Uh, as you might know, we're always adding and subtracting things and fiddling with them. Uh, it feels to me like the nature of words to, to change as our practice changes and grows. But what's also interesting to me is the way that this practice uh, reflects uh, both the parents of the Zen tradition. Uh, as you will know, this is a little hobby horse of mine. And to quote uh, uh, John Wu from the Golden Age of Zen, that if Zen, if, if Buddhism is the father of Zen and Taoism is the mother, then uh, this rather unruly child uh, looks a lot like the mother. Uh, of course, it, um, there's a lot of the, the father in it and this chant of uh, the three vow, the three refuges, along with other aspects of the formal Zendo practice, essentially come from the Buddhist tradition. Just the very fact that we chant the vows and we uh, bow and we uh, sit formally um, is is something that uh, came very clearly from the Buddhist tradition. But the way we look at that formal practice um, changes as we do it and begins to reflect more of the, of the Taoist uh, insights. Uh, 
So when we chant the three refuges, we chant them as students of Zen, aspiring to Buddhahood. And we also, uh, as Taoist stroke practitioners, we, we chant them as Buddha itself. In one way, we chant to become Buddha, to become Dharma, to become Sangha. Another way, we chant as Buddha. Da! We chant as Dharma, we chant as Sangha itself. As an and we sit and we bow also as an expression of our most authentic nature. So I, I love the way that, that, that we have uh, two parents. And um, I'm <laughs> grateful for that. Um, and it feels to me that we, we honor both of them in our practice. The father who says we need to uh, get on our cushions, learn to um, tame our unruly minds, and chant in aspiration uh, towards Buddhahood. The, the father that says we've got to try, try, try for 10,000 years nonstop. And the mother that says there's no need for all this trying. It's all already here anyway. Yeah, yeah. Relax into it. Believe into it. Believe yourself. Uh, let's not complicate things at all. And of course, e each uh, school in the Zen tradition and the broader Zen tradition finds its own way of of dealing with its ancestry, as does each center or practice place. So at Poplar Grove, it feels to me as if we have quite a strong Taoist spicing in this uh, Buddhist pup that we have here. And it grows naturally out of our environment and our situation. And I'd like to just look at that a little bit this morning. So, in doing so, I'd like to focus in particular on the refuge of Sangha, which we recite as I did in the beginning, I take refuge in the Sangha, in this world as friend, to look after it as it looks after me. It feels very uh, natural and significant and important to me and to Margie and the people who do retreat with us, that we practice 
as part of this environment that we find ourselves in. Or put it differently, that our environment is our practice. And it's a, a singular uh, privilege that we have here to be in such an immediate and uh, in many ways overwhelming uh, place. I should tell you that we even have a monkey now in the garden. We have small apple trees and we have a monkey that comes visiting a few times a day. Uh, which also means that we have to close our doors. That's part of living the environment. But he's very sweet. You'd all go, ach, oh, shame, and things like that. Uh, lovely, <laughs> lovely. Okay, where was I? Sangha. So I'd like to focus on that because it feels to me and has always felt to me like a, a, a very strong element of our practice. And of course we begin by chanting it as part of our aspiration, as part of um, growing into a particular direction. But it's also an expression of our practice. And it's a deepening as well as a broadening of it. Uh, these are just my words, of course. You will have your own. But it deepens our practice, deepening our practice uh, of Sangha in that we become more naturally part of the world where we find ourselves. And in one way, this is just a, uh, an experience that we know both as something that happens naturally, not all the time, of course, but when it does happen, it feels natural and fundamental uh, and kind of uh, authentic, authentic. It feels like authentic life when we... Uh, when we live in a way that we're not separate from the trees and the skies and the felt. There's also an interesting subtlety, I think, which feels quite important, even if it's less easy to articulate. And that it's not a sense of me practicing in the world, in my environment, so me going out to, to be one with the world or to uh, regulate it or control it or manipulate it or even to romanticize it. It's more a sense of me opening my arms wide enough to allow the world in. It doesn't feel like an assertive act. It feels more like uh, becoming more transparent, 
that the solidity of the self that so often, by definition, feels separate from its world, that that self begins to fade and become more uh, see-through. And as Dogen um, writes in I think uh, a text called the Genjo Koan. I'm just going to read it. Uh, he says it uh, in a different way. To carry the self forward and realize that 10,000 things is delusion. That the 10,000 things advance and realize the self is enlightenment. That feels quite subtle and difficult to grasp, but my, my own sense is that it's not me becoming one with the world so much as me just stepping back and allowing the world in. So th that's the one aspect, I just call it the sort of deepening of this, this natural process. Uh, and an instinctive sense that that my life is authentic when it's connected in that way. the The other aspect is the the breadth of the refuge, the breadth of Sangha, how we understand it. Uh, in one sense, of course, it's, a vow of the self that feels separate and uh, fragile and alone and longs to connect. But in the other sense, it's an expression of our intimacy with the 10,000 things, with everything. And it's an expression of our uh, intimacy with those things uh, at, at all stages and in all conditions. It's an intimacy with the world in its delightfulness and its uh, cuddly kittenishness as well as its dying and its frail care nature. It's all of that. It's not a picking and choosing, because the self that has uh, faded as the world uh, holds it, is not the picking and choosing self. So we welcome the babies. We uh, say happy birthday to our children and we uh, stand with our parents at their bedside when they're dying. Just as we uh, plant the trees watch them grow, 
and or with them when they they die and change. So the, perhaps I should also say that, that that to me that doesn't feel like any particular ethical uh, injunction that comes with this kind of intimacy. I'm not sure if that's putting it correctly, but it feels to be more like when the intimacy is present, then a kind of natural imperative seems to arise, which is often expressed in our appreciation of the natural world, sometimes in our fear of it, in our acceptance of it. And for many people, a very conscious activism about protecting the world, our climate, our environment, and really stepping up to take as much responsibility as we can for the world in which we live. As that part of the refuge of Sangha says, uh, I take refuge in the Sangha, in this world, as friend, to look after it as it looks after me. And another aspect of that is that we are finding increasingly that we want to um, make explicit our uh, gratitude towards the world, to, for, the, uh, for the air that we breathe and the earth on which we sit. For all the subtle and incomprehensible complexity in which, of which we are a part. In our broadening of the Sangha, this is where it really gets fascinating, I think, because it begins really with us um, expressing a, a companionship with people who practice with us, with, with people who come and do retreat here, with those of you who, who sit there in your rooms, on your internet, uh, listening to this. And there is a wonderful uh, fr friendship in that, Zen as the act of friendship, as the embodiment of friendship itself. But to limit our Sangha to, th to that would be a fundamental betrayal of the refuge and of our practice and of the intimacy that we begin to experience as we practice. While that may be a feature of the picking and choosing self, 
with its preference mind and attachment to like and dislike, as that begins to uh, dissolve, uh, we don't see only the natural world as our sangha. It, we don't only see those with whom we practice and who know how to spell Buddha <laughs> and Dharma and Sangha and who wear this kind of clothing. It, it has no limit. It has no sense that something or some people are excluded. So not only does one include in one sangha people who are not part of an explicitly Buddhist community or Zen community, but it includes Greek Orthodox, Catholic, Protestants, the independent Griqua Kerk in town, uh, and the, the, the Baptists. And it's a great test uh, to go to, to church with a friend uh, where you don't, in your head, believe anything that's being said at all. And to be able to be there with the innocence of a, of a young child and just be part of singing and appreciating the enthusiasm and uh, and and just the sharing that that happens, the singing. There's that aspect when the judging self disappears, and that's part of Sangha. Uh, I often talk about the kind of uh, funerals we attend in town, where we really have nothing in common with the, the teachings that are happening there, and the exhortations and waggings, but there's something about the sincerity that emerges there in people's grief that we connect with without any reservation whatsoever. It all makes for great stories too. And not only is it about people in religious communities, it's about uh, People who uh, look at us, or look at me, I should make it more personal, <laughs> less safe. Uh, people who look at me and think that I am deeply misguided. And it's really difficult to disagree with them, of course. But more fundamentally, how can I uh, take people who regard me as a fool and make them part of my life without any sense of hesitation or trying to get my own back or, or trying to look better and more acceptable to them. 
That's when it really gets interesting. And what about the politicians you see on your television? Uh, people you disagree with fundamentally, how can you make them part of your sangha? Especially you activists among us. It's wonderful practice. And uh, as uh, can emerge on retreat, one can have a sense that only when the intimacy of this practice appears, am I free to listen to the news uh, without um, throwing a glass at the television. It's, it's wonderful, wonderful, uh, very testing practice. And one doesn't often get it right, of course. But like we say with the uh, precepts, every time we make a mistake and abandon our refuge or our precept, we start again without any trace. And then, of course, <clears throat> the, the sense here, particularly uh, or in a particular way in this farming community, our Sangha is th and includes the people who live on the farm who don't particularly share our zendo uh, with us, but who live here with us, who are part of our life, whose parents we married and whose children and grandchildren we see growing up in front of us. Their life is our life. And the longer we live here and practice here, there feels to be no fundamental distinction whatsoever between people who come to practice Zen and people who count the sheep. And the same with our neighbors who come and we occasionally fight fires with them. Sometimes we, we gather for a drink. Uh, whatever it is, and whatever we find to talk about, they are part of our life. And there'll be a time, or maybe a time, when people come to our house wishing us ill. And how will we make them our sangha? That's a, uh, then we'll see. <laughs> then we'll see. My wife always says, she, she just goes to the zendo and says, if you want to hurt me, you hurt me there. That's all I can do. Uh, as I was saying the other day, we, we, we let people know that we, we don't have television or firearms or money, and if we get, whiskey donated, we drink it immediately. That's how we uh, deal with our place. But we have a house that has no doors that close, that lock. Uh, we are elderly and 
not very fast running these days. And we have to take the world th that we live in. And that's our practice. That's a, f that's a strong part of our practice. How can I live here whatever happens? How can the Buddha, I take refuge in the Buddha, in the willingness to be present, whatever happens, and whoever is here with me. And lastly, of course, the, the, the sense of sangha, of our practice community, is our natural world, the blue of our sky. the vastness of the felt, the poplar trees, the birds, the monkeys, the snakes, the scorpions and the spiders. And how do we honor that? How do we find the intimacy with that which is the heart of our practice and express it in whatever way is dictated by that intimacy, by that depth and that breath. And what happens in my life is that things feel increasingly uncomplicated. And so my love for my wife is not because she has particularly endearing characteristics or a big bank balance or uh, whatever it is, which she does have, that makes it easier. But it's fundamentally because she's just here as part of my life in the same way that the trees are and the grass and the dog and me. It's that naturalness uh, of Sangha. She is my Sangha. You are my Sangha. The trees, the birds, the monkey are my Sangha. And essentially, it's part of this vibrant sense of being alive in a vibrant endlessly transforming, unfathomable, unpredictable life and finding the authentic response inside of that. And then it's very simple. And whoever you are, I can only say thank you for... <laughs> Thank you for being part of this, and a happy Christmas to you all, whatever you think and believe, and a happy new year for whatever you drink. And we look forward to seeing you in this same world next year. <laughs>